Critic, critical wits. Yeah. We talk about one thing. And then we talk about another thing. But we're only supposed to talk about the one thing. But sometimes we just get sidetracked. Yeah, like with the world building episode when we talked about everything but world building. Well, we talked a little bit about world building, but it wasn't really all that much about world building. Nope. It was really just about the stuff that we did when we built worlds before, but we didn't really explain how to world build or any of like the value that you can derive from the process of world building. Yeah, sing it, brother! <laughs> All right, I think that qualifies as a good enough test. Yeah, now I'm, I'm leaving this in. Oh, all right. So, yeah, Critical Wits Podcast. <laughs> so we're coming live from Tim's condo in glorious Henderson, Nevada. So, yeah, some things happened. It's been a long time since the last Critical Wits Podcast because it, of lots and lots of reasons. Yeah, I went to PAX. I got bedridden by illness. I started school. I moved to a new condo in glorious. Henderson, Nevada. Henderson, Nevada, where the weather's always warm. It's pretty much just Vegas. For those of you who don't know, Henderson is a city that is Vegas. Yeah, like, Vegas is kind of set up kind of weird. It's actually a bunch of smaller towns like Paradise and Enterprise and, like, Summerlin, kind of, to an extent. But like a big, glorious, shitty amoeba <laughs> rising from the ashes. It ate all those other towns. And Henderson has been the only town that's been able to, like, keep its identity. Yeah. And I'm five minutes away from a Sweet Tomatoes. It's also five minutes away from Vegas. And I'm five minutes away from everything I'd ever want to go to, so. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's, uh, we're doing something special today. Yeah, but yeah. before we get into that, I want to talk about PAX. PAX is actually not that great. Honestly, if you've got a hundred and blah 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 dollars to spend, I would say don't actually go to PAX. The most fun I had at PAX was hanging out with all my weird internet friends. I didn't get to go to PAX. Yeah. That was moving. If you, like, if you're gonna go to PAX, be sure to go to the rest of Seattle because that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I've been to Seattle once. I was in middle school. It was weird, though, because, like, I'm an adult and I've lived in Vegas most of my adult life and most of, like, my life. It's weird because stuff closes. And Really? Yeah. Like, well, what if you need cough drops at 3 a.m.? You're screwed. 7-Elevens and, like, convenience stores, they close. What? Yeah, I know. Like, we were out... It wasn't even that late. It was, like, 1 a.m. and we were going through... Okay, so if you're if you're from Vegas... Or like New York, you know that 1am is not that late. Yeah. Like, that's that's doing stuff time. But we were looking for, like, soda to bring back to our hotel room, and we were in, we were directly in downtown Seattle. Like, we were, like, four blocks away from the convention center, and none of the convenience stores were open. They that's, were closed. It's not convenient at all. No, so we, like, we searched for probably, like, a mile radius around the convention center for friggin' for soda, and we couldn't find any. So it's really, it's very weird because, like, you remember that Christmas a couple years ago where it was, yeah. like, it was the 26th and yeah. we're like, alright, let's go to Walmart. Yeah, and, and they then were closed? They were closed and we were just like, how come Walmart's closed on Christmas <laughs> at midnight? Like, what the hell is this crap? Yeah, it's like that all the time. Whoa. So, I don't know about moving anymore. Yeah, PAX was, you know, it was alright. Uh, the drive up was really fun. The convention itself was, uh, I could take it or leave it. Because it's not like Neon Con. It's not like a gaming convention. Like, there's lines to play demos and... That doesn't sound fun. Yeah, it, it's a very different experience from what I'm used to. But uh, I did get to play Mouse Guard. That's cool. hopefully we'll do a Mouse Guard yeah, show. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Mouse Guard right now. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's, there's a box. And it says, 
says mouse guard. Yeah, and then and underneath that mouse. says role playing game. And there's a mouse. Yeah. He's... So we're about five minutes in. We haven't said a single word about today's topic. Today's topic is Dungeons and Dragons Next, the playtest from Wizards of the Coast. I, I guess I have to say that saying the full phrase Dungeons and Dragons Next is both cumbersome and stupid. Yeah, it's D and D next. Yeah, it's like the new iPad. I hope they don't call it D and D next in the final version because yeah, I I hope so too. The the new D and D. Yeah, <laughs> and then like the next edition comes out and it's like, well, here's shit. the even newer D and D. We guess. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about since it's in its. I guess it's alpha. I would say it's pretty. Is it, it's alpha. I would say it's alpha. Like I think they're saying, well, here's the playtest packet, and it just says playtest. Well, here's the thing: is that I made that cover. Oh, never mind then. Um, it's the playtest version. Yeah, it's the second playtest version that we're going to be talking about, actually. So I don't know if it's alpha or beta. I think they have like two more years, is what they've. Yeah, two more years. Two more years. We're in the middle of kind of an edition change ish, like right up to the cusp. So let's talk about the old editions of D and D and their lifespans, because I think it's really yeah. interesting. As D and D goes on, the shorter its lifespan gets. We had the original edition, which mm-hmm. little brown book or white box or whatever it's you want to call it, kind of cobbled together out of Gary Gygax's bookshelf. Yeah, its publication run I think was into the eighties, from nineteen seventy four to probably about nineteen eighty one. Running concurrently with that, you had first edition, which had a very long, healthy lifespan of about twelve years. Yeah. So we had it from nineteen seventy seven to nineteen eighty nine, and then in nineteen eighty nine we got second edition, which uh, is basically just first edition restated, but, like zazzed up. They yeah, they streamlined a lot of stuff, but they also kind of succumbed to a lot of political pressure to take some of the demons and like sacrifices and like so you got the boobies out of the monster manuals. The, what are they called? The Batizu and the Batizu and the Tanari. I think is yeah, the actual something like name. That. Yeah, but they're the demons. And they're devils. demons and devils, but they took out things like the assassin. Half orcs are gone too. Half orcs were gone. I mean, that stuff later got put back in in like later supplements as it went into the nineties and like people stopped getting yeah freaked out over it. Yeah, there wasn't any more Pat. What's her face? Ah, oh, what is that lady's name? Her kid died. I don't freaking know. I don't know. Anyways, I did a paper on this and I don't know. Pat something or other. But yeah, her kid died and she started mad about Dungeons and Dragons and there was a sixty minutes special and stuff like that. I, it was. It was. I think it was Moms Against D and D and it was M A D. Yeah, something like so, that. So, and she was like, I'll get you next time. Next time. <laughs> So, 1989 came out second edition, and that had from 1989 to 1999, and during that time, Wizards of the Coast bought up, like, I think in the, about 94 or something like that, yeah. they bought, uh... TSR. TSR, because TSR basically sunk itself because of a lot of the dumb, let's cover up the demons by renaming them, and I think that's when you kind of got the splat bookiness started really going to full effect. From first edition to second edition, there's a two-year cutoff, mm-hmm. and I think that would just, counting that as something significant is kind of splitting hairs, but from that point, we had third edition, which brought the game into an entirely new kind of yeah. system. It uh, was basically, they invented a new base system for it for the first time, where they unified all conflict resolution to one mechanic, yeah. which was you roll the d20, and you add something, you compare it against the target, and that was the basis for what became the d20 system. Yeah, and second edition and first edition are very much compatible, but I think what kind of was ushered in with third edition was new editions of the game, instead of being like with a textbook, which I very much think that's first edition to second edition was, where they're just like, we changed some words here, this chapter's combined with this chapter, pay us 140 more dollars. <laughs> 
what happened with that is this kind of marked the additions in Dungeons and Dragons becoming entirely new, separate games from one another. Yeah, where they actually started trying to mess with the game itself instead of just the way it was presented. Yeah, because third edition to old school D&D is a very drastic change. But the thing is, is that the next edition, the fourth edition, is an even more drastic change. It became a completely different game. Well, yeah, and so from from 2000, which is when third edition came out, to 2002, they actually had a new half edition in there. Well, they basically changed some of the core rules to fix some of the glaring problems. Yeah, and instead of just giving everyone this dictionary-sized binder of errata, they're just like, let's just reproduce the game. That Set made a lot out. of people mad. That did. It made a lot of people mad. But that's the thing with edition changes. People get really, really butthurt over them. <laughs> they really do. Sometimes just for dumb reasons. Just because yeah. they hate new things. Yeah, and but I, sometimes for legitimate reasons. I, I've been that guy, and we're probably going to talk about that a little bit. So, uh, there was that two-year gap, and then in 2008, 4th edition was released, which was another just kind of ground-shattering change to the mechanics now, of how the game is played. Now, in my opinion, 4th edition of Dungeons & Dragons is actually a completely different game. No, I will definitely agree with that. I don't it's think like, it's... It's like, it's not bad. It's yeah, not it's, bad. It's not a bad game. We both like it for what it is, but it is not a role-playing game. It's... I basically... What I say is that it's a Dungeons & Dragons-themed tactical miniatures battle game. Yeah, it's a really fun, very elegant, well-designed tactical miniatures battle game. Definitely. That you can roleplay sometimes, but, like, let's be honest, you're just gonna roll dice to see if you win. Yeah, which is basically it. And yeah. combats kind of drag on. Combats do go pretty slow. You so never, th- like, feel the next die roll could make or break something. It's just kind of, here we go. Yeah, um, I don't fight. think... I've talked about it a little bit in the past, but I've been becoming sort of a more deadly DM as time goes on. I guess I'm not so much worried anymore about people dying. Yeah, I don't think I've killed anyone in 4th edition. It's really I've come hard. pretty close. Well, um, in 4th edition, you can't kill a character. Either the party wins or the party loses. A fight resulting in only one person dying is extremely unlikely. Yeah, because of how it's kind of set up. I don't know. I, well, like, no, we're getting off topic, though. We are getting a little off topic. So, from that point, if you count 3.5 of it as its own edition, I, I, I don't really... Yeah, it's not really a new So, game. you had a, about an 8-year period, and they I think they started design in 2007. And there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of really interesting history that I've read up on, on the design of 4th edition, that uh, anyone who might be interested should look up, because it was originally going to be a very different game from what it ended up being. Huh, really? Yeah. Originally, I think they were going to take it kind of back to basics, and what ended up happening was Book of Nine Swords had come out, and they're like, oh, we really like this, we like this system. So, with the second phase of their alpha test, they actually made Book of Nine Swords the basis for the whole game. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So, 4th edition uh, has been out for four years. For, for those of you who don't know, by the way, Book of Nine Swords was a D&D 3rd edition supplement about basically playing anime fighting characters. Yeah. Um, where instead of being a fighter where you have a sword and you hack away at the dragon, you like have a sword and you jump in the air and slice your sword down and a wave of light come down and hits the dragon. That kind of thing. Which I think is cool, but I, don't but I know it's not it's, for everybody. Yeah, it's not necessarily Dungeons & Dragons. Now they're in development for D&D Next, and that's yeah. what we're going to be talking about today. So it does seem like the gap between editions is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, but I've, I've heard the stated goal of this edition for this to be, like, the edition they focus on indefinitely. Like, I, they want I it to so. be... They basically said, like, ideally it would be the last edition. 
But, like, they know it's not likely. But Yeah. See, and that's the thing, because, like, Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. And these are the same people who killed off Optimus Prime to sell more toys. Like, I guess time will tell, but I don't necessarily trust the same people who keep releasing new versions of Magic the Gathering. And every year just come out and tell you to throw away your old cards because you can't use them in tournaments. Yeah, there's that extent. concern. That's, but yeah. the designers have assured us that they're not going to, they're going to do their best to not let commercial concerns drive yeah. the actual design of games. So, our opinion on 5th edition. Well, uh, there's a little bit more I want to say on it before I get to my opinion. Alright. Is that uh, I think one of the, the design goal of the 5th edition is because the game started changing drastically between editions, and as such, the D&D fan base became really fractured. Like there, there are the, the holdouts who still liked their 1st edition, those who still liked 2nd edition, the people who still like 3rd edition. Like, these people were not buying the new games. They would try it, they would say it's too different, I don't like it, and they would keep playing the old game because it's not like they needed to get a new console or whatever. It's not like the games could be exhausted because every D&D game is a new experience no matter what system you're using so it's not like you ran out of adventures like you played Sonic 3 over and over again and like there are no more levels. Yeah, uh, maybe every once every five and years you, And you you'll don't like find... Sonic 4 but you can't keep playing Sonic 3 because you played it dead. Yeah, and you can get you can perfect all the special stages. I will say that you bring that up is that's how they marketed 4th edition. Yeah, they and that was so polarizing because, like, I like fourth edition, but it took me up until this year to start playing it. Yeah, and like actually look at it, and then they're like, "Hey, fifth edition." Six months later, I'm like, "Oh, well, okay, okay." But like with the fourth edition campaign, their entire ad campaign was based around third edition sucks, fourth edition's better, and people were like, third edition doesn't suck. I like third edition. Don't tell mm-hmm. me my game sucks." And it was super polarizing. Uh, and there's always a little bit of polarization when they release new editions. So we're starting to see that from the fourth edition people. Is they're like, yeah, they're they're not liking some of the new stuff. Yes, yeah. they'd rather it be fourth edition, which is interesting. Yeah. But anyway, what I was gonna say was that that fracturing the fan base like that, not addressing that they have like these different holdout groups that are playing editions they don't publish anymore, came back to bite them because in third edi- third edition was based off of something they invented called the open game license, which was designed to let third party publishers take the rules for D and D and publish their own products based on them, so that they would basically make D and D, and all these other people would make D and D compatible products for free, which really helped them in that era. But after that era passed, the 4th edition was not compatible with the open game license, and rather than switch to the more restrictive 4th edition license, publishers kept publishing 3rd edition stuff. Yeah, um, and then you got stuff like Pathfinder. But what's also really interesting is the holdouts all the way no. from, like... No, wait, wait, I, I think Pathfinder is what drove this edition. I think we need to talk a little bit more about Pathfinder and how it came about. Ah, okay. Because Pathfinder is basically a re-sort of uh, imagining of 3rd edition, published by a different company. A different company called Paizo Publishing, who used to work for Wizards of the Coast, saw that those rules were open and that other people were still interested in it. So they made a game called Pathfinder, which was compatible with the old rules, but was still supported with new content, and sort of streamlined it slightly in a lot of areas where it was really niggly. And Pathfinder started outselling Dungeons and Dragons. Like, D&D was no longer the world's number one RPG, and Wizards of the Coast noticed. Yeah, it was weird, because now it's this edition that was 
based off the worlds. Now, you can't, when you make stuff based off of Dungeons and Dragons, you can't explicitly say that it is based off Dungeons and Dragons because of, like, closed product identities. So anytime you see a product that is modeled off D&D, it will always say the world's most, uh, the world's oldest? Oldest? Is it? Um, it used to be the world's most popular, but they had to change it to the world's oldest. Yeah. Because it wasn't the world's most popular anymore. Yeah, this other game, based off of the most popular, became the most popular. But it's interesting because people saw that they were making Pathfinder, and Mm -hmm. that you had these... Uh, you had the OGL, which, you know, states that you can't... Is it you can't copyright rules? Is that... Um, I think the OGL, basically... They said that there are certain things that are off-limits that you couldn't publish. Yeah. You had to put the OGL in whatever book you publish, but you could make OGL-based stuff that was closed. Yeah. So, what happened was, is these holdouts from, like, first and second and, like, basic D&D started making their own versions using the OGL. Oh, oh no, well, yeah, they used the OGL. The thing is, is that game rules can't be copyrighted. Yeah. Uh, the the text that describes those rules can, but if you can describe an identical game using different language, you can publish it. Mm-hmm. So that's what these people did with the old editions, is they basically made open game license enabled versions of the old games that played exactly like the old games, more or less. Some of them were a little more different. But there started to become new versions of the older editions that were also currently supported. So D&D was now fractured into a bunch of different games supported by different companies. Wizards yeah. of the Coast lost a huge chunk of the D&D pie to all those holdouts of older editions. So, and what they've done is, so this brings us kind of back around to 5th edition, is they saw what their kind of missteps were with 4th edition, the way they marketed it, the drastic change, because it's, I mean, we'll probably catch a little bit of flack from some people, but yeah. it's not a role-playing game. It is not, it is a game. It's a It's a great game, but it's yeah. not written with the same language mm-hmm. that kind of facilitates fantasy role-playing that other versions of D&D is written yeah. with. Yeah, it's it's about the game. Yeah, and also its flavor and kind of thematic elements are very much not knights and princesses and dragons. No, it's all about, like, psychic magic robot warriors and, like, friggin' half-giant... Seven-foot-tall, like, weird praying mantis creatures from the desert. Yeah, there's so many races. Yeah, it's like it's it, something like 40-something. There's a ton of races. Like, it's not just humans and dwarves. You've got, like, humans and wilders and half-vampires and full vampires and, like... Revenants. And some of the stuff is actually really cool and I think would fit well into D&D. But I think what ends up happening is when you're playing your own kind of home campaign, people who have access to, like, the online tools... That have all the options. Have all the options. Want to use those options. Like, it's definitely geared towards the player who's like, I want to be a minotaur! And, like, you can't just say no. Because, like, there's the rules for Minotaur like, and right they're, there. they're perfectly balanced with everything like, else. Like, mathematically yeah. balanced. So, power, like, no longer became an excuse to ex- take stuff out of your game. So, then players would be like, well, there's rules for it. Why can't I be a Minotaur? Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and then, like, we're, we're gonna get emails about this where people are gonna be like, you just say no to them. And it's like, that... <laughs> Okay, yes, you can say that to us on an email or on a forum or whatever, but when you have your friend next to you at the gaming table, it's much easier said than done. Yeah, especially if you only have a few people you like to play with. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just go down to the, uh, the where do people need to get D&D partners? Like, the... Gaming stores? The, the comic it's, shop? Yeah, the, like, we don't have any of those We don't here. have, like... We have, like, three. Yeah. Well, in, in, like, a 60-square-mile yeah, radius. But, yeah, it's really hard to just get new people you actually like 
like playing with. Yes. So. And that's the thing. Like, you could go to Pathfinder Society. You can go to, like, Living Forgotten Realms, blah, 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 whatever. But, like, those people are mouth breathers. And they're <laughs> not the people that I want to play D&D with. I have a set group of people that I want to play D&D with. And, like, I don't... Even within that group, I don't always get along. And, like, I don't see eye to eye with them on, like, what they like yeah, in gaming. That's the problem here. Yeah. And if that person says, like, I want to be a, a jelly person who has psychic powers and, like, a, a laser blade. And that jelly person is no more or less powerful than, like, being an elf. Fourth edition took a lot of control away from the person running the game to control what goes in. Yeah, and uh, that's something that was always sort of part of DMing, was that you kind of had complete control. So they've had these... Uh, I feel like we're, we're kind of circumnavigating back around to the point. Fifth edition really wants to go back to putting, like, control in the hands of the DM. But yeah, also like, bringing... they've explicitly said that they want to make sure the DM has the tools to control the game completely. Yeah. Like, 4th edition ran itself. Basically, yeah. Yeah, like, you... I was just plugging monsters in, and, like... Yeah, you played as the monsters, but you couldn't really do anything outside of the system easily. You could make your own monsters, but you had the access to the math and stuff. The DM was basically the computer that the game ran on for a lot of 4th edition. Instead of the arbiter or judge or referee, yeah. which is my favorite kind so, of role So, with 5th edition, Mike Merle's, one of the designers, explicitly said he wanted to put more control in hands of the DM. Not necessarily taking control away from the players, but making sure the DM has the tools to break away from the standard rule set. And, uh, I, I really like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, 5th edition is very much, as it exists right now, pretty, pretty rules light. Yeah, it's pretty light. It's a playtest version, so obviously they don't have a lot of the player options. It's just kind of incomplete more than it is, I guess, really simple. Like, it's definitely more complicated than, say, the older editions in certain ways. Certain ways, yeah. But in certain ways, it's actually the simplest edition of D&D yet. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the core mechanic of 5th edition. The core mechanic of 5th edition is the player says what he wants to do, and the DM says whether or not it works. And then I, I closed the book, and I wept for joy. <laughs> and it was then on that I decided that Mike Merles was my best friend. Yes, basically, the dice are there. The DM can ask for a roll if he thinks that, that a roll is required. But if he doesn't think a roll is required, Required, no role is required. So if you say, I want to climb up this wall, the DM can say, no, it's cold out, it's too slippery, you're wearing full plate armor, you're not getting over that wall. He's like, well, I want to try, all right? You try, and it doesn't work. And Or, like, you can say, like, I want to jump over this chasm, and you're like this nimble rogue, and you say, you nimbly leap over the chasm. Yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't have to roll? No, you just jump. And that, to me, is a very old-school thing. At least, to me, that's the way old-school games should be played. Well, the thing is, is that the old-school games, for a lot of situations, had no rules to yeah. arbitrate these things. So it had to fall on the DM to decide whether or not it worked. This new edition basically has one mechanic that can be used to arbitrate anything. Yeah, it's really good. Third edition and fourth edition, as you leveled up, you got numbers that sort of increased at different rates, like your attack numbers, your skill numbers and such. And therefore, you had to kind of decide what numbers to use if you're going to arbitrate something. So like, if you said, like, I'm going to break down this door, you're going to say it's like, okay, I can make it attack roll 
which he I guess he'd add his magic item bonus, or I can make it a strength check, which is a really low number because that doesn't go up. I can make it athletic skill, which is higher. It's like you basically had a really limited number of things you can arbitrate. Here, everything is just straight ability checks. Yeah, I really like that because it's I don't know, it's so simple, and it's kind of the way that I run old school games, anyways. Even before this come out, like I want to do this, roll me this check. Yeah, it's like oh, did you pass or fail? I passed, and I, I just I really like it because you can you can do anything and it really makes the game more based on your your attributes yeah this is the first edition of D&D where when you level up the numbers that you add to your d20 roll do not go up yeah they never go up well they do a little bit sometimes under certain circumstances but as a rule they don't go up if you have a plus five strength a, a strength roll is going to be plus five forever unless your strength goes up and it won't plus five is the maximum but anyway like is that a thing now did yeah, they bring the, in maximums yeah maximum yes 20 is the maximum ability any player can have ever that's awesome like oh man uh so why i like that is because in like third edition you could have like a level 18 fighter with like a 32 strength yeah and it kind of got out of control and the numbers were getting crazy and at higher levels it kind of all got out of whack and then the game just or you were like you were like bench pressing mountains and like (laughs) throwing elephants at your enemies like you could throw four elephants around (laughs) the thing is is that that was sort of the bear required to keep up at that level. The system assumed you would become elephant-throwing strong at a certain point. Yeah. So you got the numbers you needed in addition to all that other stuff that DM would be like, oh, that's dumb, but it had that, to be That there. was definitely me. We should have talked about elephant-throwing strong in the <laughs> super-powered fighters episode. <laughs> yeah, that's I something we missed out Originally, on. that's where that episode was going, was throwing <laughs> elephants four around at your enemy. Yeah, just because you have to be that strong at that level. Yeah. Uh, but we missed a good opportunity there. Yeah. <laughs> I just man, I want to I want to redo the superpowered fighter episode just because like I want like a fighter who like has two wear badgers <laughs> attached by the teeth and has like badger chucks. <laughs> God damn. But yeah, they definitely keep the numbers under control. It's basically, it had that 4th edition paradigm of keeping the math really, really tight, but without all of the kind of really game mechanic-y based abilities, like you hit him and you shift him two squares and get combat advantage. Yeah. Like, instead, it's like the, the abilities are designed to actually make sense in the context of, like, an actual world, an actual, like, fantasy adventure, and not necessarily just a fantasy game. Yeah, and I, I I love that it has, uh, I don't know if anyone who listens to this has ever played PDQ, which PDQ. is the prose descriptive quality. Well, maybe system. somebody has. Probably somebody like has. Like Ninja Burger. Ninja Burger. Cobalt um, Ate My Baby. Cobalt Ate My Baby, yeah. I think that's loosely based off Fudge, but I, I will admit that I don't know enough about Fudge to say. But if, like, someone was attacking you, you got to describe how you were defending. Yeah. So, like, if some if a boulder is coming down you in 5th edition, and, like, your dude has, like, a high constitution... Yeah. Like, instead of, like, dodging out of the way, which would be a dexterity roll, or, like, finding cover so that it would, like, roll over you like a ramp or something yeah. like that, which would be, like, an intelligence or wisdom or something like that, you can you can say that you fucking shoulder block the boulder <laughs> off of the cliff. Like, it's rolling, and you just set your shoulder like a linebacker and just... knock that friggin' thing off the side. And that would be your constitution check, yeah. withstanding the force of the crushing boulder. The thing is that you got your six abilities, and those can be used to describe
describe anything. There's no such thing as a fortitude save or a reflex save. Is that you saving throws are just you roll your ability. Skills, you just roll an ability. You can have contests where you can roll one of your abilities against somebody else's abilities. We first did the first play test with uh, our friends. You, me, and Joe, I think it was. Yeah, it was me yeah. and Joe originally. We, all the time, we were just thinking of crazy stuff to do and like how you'd arbitrate it. Like, I was playing a halfling thief and he was a dwarven fighter and uh, I decided, we were fighting David Bowie and I decided I wanted to jump onto his back and grab his hair and so like I had to describe like how I was doing it and then he would describe how he was dodging. When Crispy had David Bowie do something to us, if he was going to try and trip us, we would describe how we were going to avoid it and how our descriptions would inform what abilities we used in our contest. So the contest, which were actually my favorite mechanic in 5th edition, the yeah. first playtest, are those still in there? Is that a Contests? thing? Yeah, they are totally like, in I thought, uh, right here. Page, I thought fighters one. got maneuvers now. Well, here, fighters get special things they can add on to attacks. Those are just little bonus extra things, but they can still do like all the other stuff. Okay. I, I was unclear whether or not that had changed. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I kind of made me, not mad, mad is definitely not the right word, that kind of exasperated me was when the first feedback started coming in for the D&D playtest, you had all of these people who play D&D who maybe weren't that imaginative as, like, Joe, Tim, and I, yeah. and they were just like, oh, there's no combat maneuvers. And I'm like, there are combat maneuvers. It's contests. That's what you, you use your abilities for. Yeah, like, if I want to grab this guy... I would roll my strength to see if I can and hold I'm on. And I'm pretty sure in the first playtest document, they listed it as yeah. someone's going to grab you and you can dexterity roll to avoid get it, away. Or, or use your strength to tear away from the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like you can decide how you're going to avoid the grab. You can basically describe what you want to do when the DM decides what kind of roll it is. Yeah. And it's not just there's a list of maneuvers. The list of maneuvers is anything you could conceivably do in a fight ever. Yeah. I really like that this edition so far, there's not a lot codified. However, we are still at least two years away from release. Yeah. So I am very, very anxious about what other people are going to do to fuck up my perfect game. Yeah. Because like, this is this is it. This is the edition of D&D that I have always wanted. Yeah. Me too. Like, me and Crispy, when we first got this packet, we were just going through it, just being like, that's so cool! Yeah. And a lot of it were ideas we had. Yeah, we went and got Hawaiian food, and we were just like... Like, pouring over this book, yeah. just gushing about all the cool mechanics like skills in older editions if you didn't have a skill trained or you didn't have that skill you couldn't do it here skills are basically optional yeah like I, if I you want to climb a wall there's no climb skill you just the dm tells you you can climb the wall you can't climb the wall or you gotta make a roll and there are skills that are just basically like a word let's say climber no not climber like climb climbing oh yeah okay or yeah. like a uh, lock picking yeah and like if that word applies to what you're doing you add a plus three yeah so it's, it's like great. let's say i have like lock picking as a skill anybody can try and pick a lock if they have lock picks but if you have that lock picking skill you just add a bonus mm -hmm. so basically making a skill doesn't make it to where you have the ability to do something it just makes you a little better at doing something anybody can do and i really like it because it is d20 based like you're rolling a d20 to for your conflict resolution yeah but and since the numbers the numbers are so low you're only ever going to have like a five to i think the highest i've seen is like 30 percent bonus so like a plus one to plus 
plus six. Yeah. Possibly a little bit more. And, and that is a big bonus because your your difficulty numbers aren't that high. And, but, no, and the thing is, is that no matter what level you are, these numbers don't go up automatically. So a level 15 person has the same chance of jumping over a chasm as a level 2 person. The level 2 person who has jumping trained has a better chance of jumping over the chasm than the level 10 wizard who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that your skill numbers go up so eventually you can jump 5 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, 80 feet just because you're getting higher level. Is that the level of competency, these numbers stay low and that's really cool because the DM only has to memorize a few difficulty numbers. Like yeah, 15 is a, moderate, is a moderate difficulty at any level. It's 13, 15, 19. Something like that. Like, yeah. 13's easy, 15's medium, 19's hard, and those numbers are the same at first level as they are at, like, 7. Yeah. I mean, it's it's super easy to adjudicate, and I love it a lot. Yeah. So, let us talk. Mm -hmm. I think we've covered kind of the core mechanics a little bit. Yeah. Well enough. Should we talk about some classes? I was classes? thinking classes, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, fighter is super cool in 5th edition. Fighter is pretty awesome. The first playtest, all the fighter did was hit stuff, and, like, we spiced it up by doing contests, and that helped us keep it fun, but a lot of people thought the fighter couldn't do enough. So Fighter, like, for the first time, got his very own mechanic. And the Fighter mechanic is called uh, Combat Superiority. Where basically, every single round, you get a little pool of dice. And you can spend that dice to add extra damage to any attack. You can also spend those dice, however, if you don't add it to damage, to reduce damage from incoming attacks. So you can basically decide whether you're being offensive or defensive at any given moment. And as you uh, level I need to up... Keep that yeah, like, all fighters get the damage option and the damage reduction option. Now, as you level up, you start to get more options of stuff you can do with those dice, and you get them back at the start of your turn. So, eventually you can spend a die, and if somebody misses you, you can spend that die and attack them back for free. Or, if you attack somebody, instead of adding that die to extra damage, you can spend that die to push them back ten feet, or knock them prone. Do things like that. You basically start to get all these extra riders on your attacks, like all these rider abilities. I guess they're called rider abilities in 4th edition like extra things that oh, okay. sort of like ride on the attack and stuff like yeah, that like cleave, yeah like cleave like just little extra bits you get to your attacks like you you didn't have to make a special roll to like knock somebody prone or you didn't have a chance to knock somebody prone if you hit them you spent that die they're down so the fighter became basically this guy who was running through a fight just hitting people and every time he hit somebody something really horrible would happen to them yeah or if you set, if you save your dice you can become like untouchable if you're in a crowd of weak enemies so the fighter became the best at fighting in a way that is completely unique. Yeah, I really, uh... I, I really like the combat superiority mechanic. I will say that there is some stuff that got changed from the first playtest to the current playtest that I didn't like as much. Yeah. Like, I, I liked Cleave being an automatic thing. That's a thing that's a holdover from 4th edition. Uh, when Cleave was first introduced in 3rd edition, if you, like, downed a foe, you got to apply damage to... No, in 3rd edition, basically, how it was... Yeah, you got to attack another person. But only if you knock them down. In 4th edition, if you attack somebody with Cleave, you could do automatic damage to somebody else yeah. next to you. And I liked that a lot. Like, I yeah. thought that was the best way Cleave was handled. In the first playtest, it was very 3rd edition style, where you basically got an extra attack if you knocked somebody down, like, ever. But in this new playtest, you had to actually spend one of your dice to do that. Yeah. Uh, but then, you also had, uh... I could have swore you did damage to adjacent enemies. No, what you're thinking of is the Slayer ability. Slayer ability, yeah. Yeah, where when you attacked somebody, if you missed, you automatically did damage. Yeah, and I liked that a lot. It was I just a little bit. That, yeah. 
Yeah, you did your strength bonus and damage. Yeah, which was, in Joe's case, is enough to kill a kobold. So yeah. if he attacked yeah, a kobold, that. it died. That kobold had no chance. In this new playtest, that got changed, and now that's an optional, uh, well, not optional, but it's one of the maneuvers you can take called Glancing Blow, where if you if you roll your attack roll, and it's at least a certain amount, even if you miss, you can roll just your extra damage dice and still do that as damage. There's a problem because it's right now it's you have to roll at least 10. The thing is that with Fighter, if you roll at least a 10, you're hitting. So the number of times you're going to roll a 10 and miss are basically nil. But I guess you're not you you're not really using your damage dice, superiority dice, on that ability, generally. But the thing is, is you get new combat superiority dice every round. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not... It's, well, it's a re- thing. That's, replenishing... Yeah, it's a replenishing thing, but it's not about wasting that ability. I mean, it's about that ability never even comes up. Yeah. Like, if you have that ability, you never even get the chance to use it. Which, it, it's like, kind of... In my game, I house-ruled it to where the roll is, instead of it being at least 10, it's at least 5, to where there still is the point at which you roll so poorly you can't use it at all. Because the thing is that the damage went up. Like, instead of it just being, like, you miss, but you do 4 damage, it can be you miss, but you do 2d8 damage. We can be, like, up to 16 tops. Yeah. Which is a lot of damage to do even if you miss. So I can see why they put some restrictions on it. Yeah, that. I can see that. I think maybe a good thing to do, a good way to change it would be, if you miss, you can spend a die to do your strength, but there's no, like, limit on it. It's like, it could be any miss. I don't know, now that, like, we kind of puzzled out how it actually works, I kind of like the way they changed it, too. I just don't like that attack roll thing, because I, I yeah. see the, the point you're making there. Maybe the... <sighs> Maybe that's in place for later yeah. levels of play. Because yeah. this only goes up to fifth level. So, I yeah. mean, maybe it gets to a point where you're going to be fighting stuff that has, like, stuff an that AC, has, like, AC 22. 22. Yeah. But the thing is, when you get to that point, like, in this playtest, you can get attack rolls of, like, up to plus nine. Like, yeah. just by the core rules. Which means that a roll of ten is going to hit anything up to 19. And there's no monster in this playtest that has an AC that high. Basically, that ability can become unusable. Which, in I will say, in my opinion, monsters not having an AC that high is good. It is good. That's good. I'm saying that the bad part is that that means this ability can't be used as it's written. Yeah. And but, like, that's it's a playtest version. We understand, like, it's not perfect. It's not perfect, yeah. Um, so. so, with Fighter, you you basically you get to specialize as different types of fighters. Yeah. They basically give you these packages. We can't read directly from the book, I don't think, but I, we can still reference and talk about it. I think this is my DM package. Let me get the player pack out. Um, I will say one thing that I do really, really like is that that um, you can build other classes with the way that building your character is set up right now. Yeah. Um, we'll, like, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fighter. Basically, they have these different maneuvers you can do. And then they have a, a fighting style, which is basically they pick some of these maneuvers out for you and suggest you some equipment. So, like, if you want to be, like, a fencer, they give you, like, the tumble and jab and shift maneuvers where you can, like, jump around and riposte at people and basically be an Errol Flynn. Or you can be even an archer and you can shoot people and knock them down. Or uh, they actually have this cool thing called a jab, where if you uh, if you do a different action besides attacking, you can spend your combat superiority dice and then attack anyway so you can drink a potion and then attack somebody <laughs> i but, just i imagine that like like it's called jab but you can do it any other way but just a fighter drinking a potion with his pinky up <laughs> while he's like 19th century like english bare knuckle boxing jabbing someone <laughs> yeah so if you're a fighter you can attack every round even if you're doing other stuff he of course you... has a handlebar mustache well yeah i mean I that's mean, a given yeah i like, didn't think, i thought that went without saying yeah and his hair is parted and like uh, yeah. 
yes, of course. Yes. He's got a big old round boxing glove. <laughs> no, he's bare knuckle. Oh, bare knuckle. Yeah. That's right, fisticuffs. Which is uh, a very good Sega Genesis game, yes. by the way. Bare knuckle. That's, bare knuckle. that's uh, Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage, yes. Yeah. Which is a good game, but it's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's not Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you can be like a really defensive fighter who protects his friends. Like you can spend your combat superiority dice to reduce damage your friends take if you're holding a shield. So you like jump in front of them and like knock the blow away. Which is a very... You can, you can that's like, a very... Like that didn't exist as far as I know in tabletop games prior to like... Tabletop games. Yeah, yeah. Like that mechanic of like defending your friends. Mm-hmm. That was never a thing. That's something from like Final Fantasy V. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely like something that has definitely hasn't existed in D&D as much before. Like, yeah. I think some expanded 3.5 stuff probably had things uh, like The that. Knight, I think, from Player's Handbook 2, which is a shitty, shitty, shitty book. Yeah, we should probably do an episode of We that. should... I, I was thinking we should maybe start expanding into doing, like, review episodes. That's kind of what we were originally going to do, but yeah. we're way off topic. We are. So, okay, uh, so you have all these different types of fighters, and that's kind of how all classes are set up, uh, different yeah. types of rogues and Basically, stuff like that. Basically, like... Every class has kind of an option you pick that determines more of the abilities you have, but it's kind of one choice you make. Yeah. So, something I think we should, before we talk about the other class, we should talk about, like, how you build your character. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think we necessarily need to talk about other classes so much. Yeah, but, like, the fighter was the biggest change. Yeah. Like, rogues, they still sneak attack, they still do skills, wizards still cast spells. Clerics, one cleric is very different from another cleric in yeah. this edition. Which is really cool. Yeah, like, uh, depending on the, you actually get different like, weapon proficiencies depending on, like, the kind of god you worship. Yeah. If you worship a battle god, you can use swords and things. You can have a great sword if you want. But if you worship, like, the god of the sun, you can only use, like, staffs and spears and things like that. Not really? Like, yeah. I think the most obvious choice would be... Well, okay, I'm gonna... I'm gonna the be... Morning Star. Because uh, it's... You're a sun god. Uh, uh, the sun uh, that comes up uh, in the morning. Uh, <laughs> And it's a star, which is also what the... See, I it's... This, I actually think that the Morning Star is a simple weapon, so yeah, you can do that. It's also. a simple weapon for a simple man. Simple man of God. The sun god. The sun god. All really? Right. Really? Yeah. Yeah, really? I went there. Really? Yeah. Raw. Yeah. Raw, the sun yeah. god. Uh, all right. So, gonna edit all of that to be much funnier in post. <laughs> I'm funny. I'm funny. <laughs> Anyways, so... uh, Yeah, clerics, real different. Yeah, clerics are pretty you different. You can have a laser cleric. I, I'm playing a laser cleric in Tim's game right now. No, you're not. You, you, you're playing a laser rogue. <laughs> Man, you ruined it. <laughs> I wanted to be a laser cleric. And people would be like, what the fuck's a laser cleric? And we just, we would never tell them. Oh, We would that, never tell them what a laser cleric here's is. Here's the thing, is that's not something I made up. Laser cleric's a thing. What? Yeah, from 4th edition, a laser cleric is a cleric focused on blasting people with holy energy. So you're a cleric and you go pew 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 and people die and you can do that in fourth edition. Man, I do not keep up enough on, like, this stupid, like, optimization jargon. It's not necessarily optimization jargon, but it's jargon. Yeah. So, like, laser cleric's a thing. That's... I'm pretty sure I've seen that movie. It had Jean-Claude Van Damme in it. I don't get it. It's laser... Never mind. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I feel real dumb now. <laughs> what? What's the joke? Like, it's a, it's a terrible, like, B-movie that Jean-Claude Van Damme would be in. And he's wearing play? sunglasses. And, like, he has a murdered wife. And he has to fight, like, Oh, oh, wait, so it's, you're not talking about a specific movie. No, I'm just talking <laughs> about, like, Laser Cleric is totally the name of a movie that Jean-Claude Van Damme would be I in. I agree. I agree. He's all coked up. 
stuff. That's why he wears yeah. the sunglasses. Anyways. Well, something is that, I'll sum it up this way, is that your character can basically be summed up in five choices that yeah. have nothing to do with each other. I, I was going to bring that in, and I was going to preface that a bit with, some people are going to hate that. Yeah. People from all walks of editions are going to hate that. So, I'm going to break down what the choices are. Uh, first choice is your race, which uh, you get, it's not really handled anything revolutionary. You get, like, some ability modifiers. You get some special racial abilities. Also, humans in this version of the playtest are super badass right now. They don't get any special abilities, but all of their abilities go up really high. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I think I'm playing a human in Tim's game, and I chose, like, the the array. I didn't roll because it's like... We're playtesting. We're so playtesting, so. We, you want to be good. Um, yeah. But I think the lowest stat I have is like, like a 12? Yeah. Something ridiculous like yeah, that. Yeah, humans are like all amazing prodigies. But uh, yeah, basically there's race, then there's your class, then there's your class-specific option, like your cleric god or your uh, fighting style for your fighter. Then you have uh, your background, and that determines some of the skills you get and also gives you a nice little fluffy benefit. And then you have something called the specialty, which is basically what takes the place of your feats in, say, 3rd or 4th edition. So basically, uh, background is where your character came from, and that kind of informs how they interact with the world. And your specialty determines some of your special abilities besides what you get from your class. The thing is that the specialties, what we're going to talk about with, like, mixing classes, the specialties, like, are not class-specific. Like, there's a specialty called healer, where you can make healing potions, and uh, if you heal people, it works a lot better. But the thing is that you can have the healer specialty as, say, a fighter. You can be a fighter who's a healer. Or you can be a rogue who has a specialty acolyte, and you actually get some divine magic. I will. I want to. I want to bring up a story about how I single-handedly ruined D and D next for our uh, benevolent overlord Vince. Oh, I've heard this story. Yeah, I I am not a huge fan of multiclassing, like how it yeah. works in older editions. It got it gets kind of weird, especially in like three point five, where you're just like grabbing levels of other classes. Yeah, and so you have like I was a paladin one summer, and then I went on to rogue school, and then yeah. I interned as a ghost faced killer. <laughs> yeah. Like you get these really weird class combinations that are oftentimes just depending on who you're playing with. I I don't want to generalize it, but they're really just based on like I want to make a character that is the best and has all the best options that synergize really well. Yeah, or like I like this ability from this class, and like, this ability from yeah, this class. Yeah, I just want to dip a level in Dragon Disciple so that we're I can invincible. Heal forever. Yeah, fucking Player's Handbook too, worst book. Yeah, ever. so basically players would pick based on the abilities the classes get, not necessarily the class their archetype or flavor. Yeah, or and it would not make a lot of sense sometimes. But fourth edition came around and like you could multi-class and they had like first they had a multi-class feats where you could sort of selectively lift powers from other classes but that always didn't synergize yeah really well. and then they added hybrid classes where you can basically be half one class half another class which could work but it also could not work because a lot of classes really were locked into certain abilities mm-hmm. and if you didn't pick two classes that used the same ability you were basically up the river without a creek and that's the whatever. weird thing because I was playing like I was playing Galdrell Swiftbow Hero Fourth Edition, yeah. and I multiclassed into Rogue because yeah. I wanted to be like a I wanted to be an archery ranger who had thiefy abilities. Like yeah. that's what I wanted to be, but I couldn't take any Rogue powers because they just did not work 
at yeah, range. They or, were all like, like if you're a rogue in fourth edition, at least at first, it was daggers. Yeah, it was it daggers, was like, short swords. You can only use this power with like a, a dagger or a light blade, pull it off. Yeah, and eventually they started getting like ranged weapon attacks, but it was always with like crossbows and stuff. Yeah, so the classes just wouldn't mix. Yeah, and I, they're both dexterity based, but none of their abilities synergized, and it was really dumb. So one really cool thing about um, fifth edition yeah. is I was able to just through these choices that I was making, was able to rebuild Galdrel Suthbow as an archery fighter who was an elf and also had thiefy abilities. Yeah, they were, uh, there was a background he picked which was called Thief. And the thing is that you don't have to be a rogue to be a thief. You can be a wizard who was a thief. Yeah. Like, you can be a wizard who's a spy or a cleric who was a thief but then found God but then still has all of his thiefy knowledge. So, like, you have this really pious guy and you have to get into this, this building and he goes up to the window and he starts jigging it and you're like where did you learn how to do that and i'm like well uh i just you know picked this up yeah like you had a background as a thief uh but one multi-class combination that has never really worked all that well has been fighter magic user yeah like the only fighter magic user i've seen done well was uh in pathfinder it was a class called the magus where the, the the classic problem has always been if you're a fighter magic user you basically decide moment to moment whether you want to be a shitty fighter or a shitty wizard. The Magus let you be a shitty fighter and a shitty wizard at the same time. Yeah, it was you great. You could attack and cast a spell, so but, like, you weren't the best you... at attacking, you weren't the best at spell casting, but you could actually do both at the same time. Yeah, your, your margin of success was not really all that great, though. Um, so, with this, again, you could be a fighter who has the magic user specialty, and you get, like, light or mage hand. Like, so these, these little tiny tricks that you can use. Yeah, so you can be a fighter who basically, like, raided some tombs and found some spell books and like there were no wizard academies where he lived but he read them and he picked up some magic tricks yeah and, and you could be a rogue who has a familiar even yeah and there's a lot like of precedents like precedents there's a lot of precedent uh in fantasy there's literature. a lot of precedent there's a lot of precedent in fantasy literature, yeah, of, like, characters who have these little magic tricks but aren't necessarily wizards. Yeah, so I told I told Vince about, like, Fighter being able to take magic user. And, like, he gets to do a magic missile. And, like, that's really the most powerful, I think. Other like, there might be spells. one other one that does, like, a D8, which is about as powerful as a sword strike. I'm pretty sure, like, after I told him that, I heard Vince just flip his table. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure. But he got so mad about, like... Like, the fighter being able to have this dinky little magic user spell. It's not... It's two dinky little magic user spells. Like, you know... Two minor spells. Yeah. Which is not game-breaking at all. And I thought it was really cool because it's like, oh, now I don't have to take levels in Magic User. I don't have to, like, split my experience points between both classes or yeah. stop being one entirely so I can be the other. And I don't get hit dice until I reach that level. Like, this other stuff that has always been really obtrusive and obtuse and dumb about being a fighter magic user. Now it's just like, I can cast Magic Missile, and also I have a battle axe. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and what's cool is that, like, the specialties which give you your abilities, like Magic User, or Archer, or Dual Wielder, or such, and your backgrounds, which determine the way you interact with the world, like, let's say, Thief or Sage, and your class, which determines the bulk of what your character do, like Cleric or Rogue, these are all disassociated choices from one another. So you can be, you can have the Thief background, and the Archer specialty, and be a cleric. Yeah, and 
That's super cool to me. Yeah, like, you I, can be, I love that. You can be like a cleric of the hunt who like has a bow and like can get you anywhere you need to go, and is a cleric who casts spells and magic. Yeah, you can be a wizard who is a spy whose specialty is lurker. So you can be a stealthy wizard who's super tricky. Yeah, and the thing is, is right now in the playtest, we I was talking about it a little bit earlier in this episode, but there are only four classes, and yeah. they're the four archetypes. Actually, that is not true anymore. Really? There's oh yeah, yeah, because they now. have warlock and sorcerer. Yeah, which they added in. Well, I'm recently. not I'm not counting those right. Yeah, well, I mean I, I don't have them printed down this packet yet, so they don't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Um so you have your you have your fighter, your wizard, your cleric, and your rogue. Yeah. And like you can take all these choices and build all these characters. If you want to be a, a ranger, you're a fighter. You're a fighter who's an archer, yeah. and like you can make like a survivalist specialty or something. Yeah, and like then that. you can do anything a ranger could be expected to do. Yeah. Or like if you wanted to be like the uh the friggin' uh The Grey Mouser. Or if you want to be a paladin. Yeah, like, you're you to your fighter, you have like a sword and you take the acolyte specialty and you get some divine magic and you can make your weapon do holy damage yeah and so you can and build like your these backgrounds other you can take knight you can be a knight you can beat sir this guy and yeah and i i personally love the shit out of that yeah like that is the best thing ever to me because they did say that paladin is going to be its own class and so is ranger they yeah. are going to be their own class yeah but the and thing I is that see... they said stuff like fourth edition had the most classes i think most base classes like, most they base said something classes, like yeah. avenger they said would be something you would put together by being like say a cleric with like some kind of they said avenger might actually be a specialty something hmm. like that yeah see like that's the thing though is i know the paladin has historically been its own class yeah but i don't think it's needed yeah because in the original editions the paladin was just a special kind of fighter yeah so they could bring that back and there are people clamoring for that there i would like to see that instead want, of yeah the classes to be more modular instead of there being more classes yeah which how it is now is a lot like that like we can you can be a fighter who is like a commander or an archer. Like there's, there's. I mentioned I listened to the Penny Arcade, uh, the playtest where they're building. I've not old characters. to listen to that yet. I listen to that, and you get to hear a little few extra nuggets of like stuff that they were thinking of. Is there's Mike Merles be, running that? Yeah, yeah. Mike Merles is talking about that. I don't know if he's running the game, but he's the one who helped them build their characters. And like leader was a specialty where you can like spend an action and give somebody like advantage on something. And so like you can be instead of being a warlord, you can be a fighter with the leader specialty. So you can attack people and then command people. Yeah, and leader for people who might be listening to this who aren't like fourth edition. Fourth edition guys. That's a type of. It's an archetype of. They're like the class were divided into four different roles. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's and a the role. leader was a role. So you you basically commanded fields. You were like a you were like a field leader. You were like a yeah. field commander kind yeah, of. Yeah, you basically made everybody else super cool. And I think that should be its its own its background or specialty. It's a specialty. Yeah, so I think that should like be a specialty. Yeah, I think it would be really and cool. To have a like leader you, wizard or yeah, a leader, leader rogue. Wizard or, yeah. yeah, so you can have like a rogue who's like a con artist who's good at telling other people what to do. So he hangs in back and he says like, you stab that guy, you cast that spell or whatever. And then if somebody gets next to you, you just kind of slip away yeah. and then you stab them later. See, what I really like about D&D Next is because it is so modular and so easy to make things up. Um, is it the specialty or the background that gives you the non-mechanical bonus? Uh, it's the background. Yeah, so your background is basically like you're a scribe or something like that, or knight. Yeah, or and, a noble. Or a noble, And yeah. it would give you some ability that's not described using
amazing game mechanics. Like, if you're a noble, you get uh, three retainers who will, like, carry your stuff and polish your armor and things like that. Yeah. If you're a priest, then you belong to a temple, and they'll help you for free, and you can always go back there and get everybody healed. Or, um... If you're a commoner, you have, like, a business, like a, a blacksmithing shop, and you own a little bit of land, and there's somebody who can run that business for you. So, they basically give you these ways you can interact with the world. That aren't, like, you get a plus three bonus to blah, 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 blah. Well, you do get a plus three bonus to blah, 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 but that's not all you get. Yeah, I like it because, like, if you have, like, thug, you have criminal underworld contacts, and <laughs> if you can't, like, find a fence, you can, like... Or if you can't sell this thing, right? Yeah. You can find someone who will. And yeah, there, there's stuff like sage, that. you're a sage, like, you go around collecting knowledge, and, like, it says if you don't know a piece of lore, you know, like, a scriptorium or a library or another wise and sage will tell you this bit. So, it's like they really inform in, like, kind of a really roleplay oriented way how you can tackle challenges. Yeah, I was definitely gonna bring that up. That is, it's all roleplay. It's like, here's an opportunity for you, DM, to go ahead and make a new character. Yeah. Like, make a, a new so like NPC. Instead of it being, like, in 4th edition, it would be like, you go to this library, and then, like, you open this book, and it's like, I'm gonna use arcane lore to find out what this book says, and you roll it, it's like, you don't know. And it's like, crap. I, I guess I failed. I'll try about religious lore. How about this? Oh, well, I guess we don't know. In this edition, it's gonna be like, you make that, like, if your DM doesn't decide you know it, or that you don't know it, and if he has asked to make a roll and you don't know. But if you don't know, like, you can look at your sheet and say, but my ability says that if I don't know, I know where to find out, so where do I find out? So that enables a new adventure. Like, yeah. you go to this underground library that's run by skeletons now, or something like that, and that's where you find it. <laughs> Is this a reference to the Bones Brothers? <laughs> it's not, but... <laughs> The Bones Brothers. Yes, it is now. All right, the Bones sweet. Brothers. So you have to go down, you have to go talk to the Bones Brothers, who will let you into their library, or you'll have to fight your way through, or something like that. Like, it makes new adventures. Yeah, which is And just these new adventures great. are based around the characters. It's based around things that you did. Like, So if everybody makes, like, all these scholars, there's gonna be a lot of scholarly stuff, and it's gonna be like, if, like, if the wizard knows every piece of lore, knows where to get it, that'll affect the actual story arc of the campaign. It'll be like, you write down what happened, it's like, and then, after they found the Tome of the Forbidden Doom, Alcazar the Learned knew that he could take it to, I give you a name, a sage, a wise man. Ferrazorn the Grey. Ferrazorn the Grey, who lived on Mount Treacherous up to the north, and like, because... Mount Treacherous, your vacation spot. It's actually rather lovely. Yeah. It's uh, like, you know, Greenland and Iceland, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. like Mount Pleasant, also nice. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the story will be informed by the characters in this really organic way, and I like that. I like that a lot. I think that is the friggin' best. And, yeah, like, we haven't seen anything like that since, like, really early editions, in which, like, we had, like, these sort of clumsily put together kits, like, Peasant Hero in second edition where you were this fighter who was like a hero of the people and they would like always vouch for you and stuff and they would always hide you if the authority was looking for you but like the downside was like they would always come to you with all their problems. It was like these really fluffy kind of things and those like went away. If like peasant hero would be like you get a plus three diplomacy check when in a settlement of less than a thousand people. Like that's how it would be in like third or fourth edition. So I think that we should talk since we've talked about all the really cool benefits that you get and the yeah. great ways you can make your characters. The the game is supposed to be modular. Yeah. Like, uh, so if you want a more old school experience... You can take out specialties. And yeah, just cut that stuff out. 
like then just have what you get from your class. Yeah, like you can be like if you do that, the only ones who will get skills at all will be rogues, which is how it was in the older editions. Yeah. So like backgrounds are how all the characters get skills, and you could take backgrounds out. Yeah, I will say that one thing that I'm interested in seeing, uh, and something that I think was kind of hinted at, if not even outright promised, was that they want to they want you to be able to play with like Tim is the new school guy, and he wants his spider with like all these different abilities. All these different abilities with like the knight background and the acolyte specialty. specialty because I'm a like holy that. warrior with like a, a chain, a spike chain. Yeah, and he has all trick like people and like knock people back and like do all this. He, I don't actually like spike chains. Yeah, but. he's got his uh like his combat superiority stuff. Blah blah blah. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to see and like Vince, benevolent overlord Vince, is playing a fighter, but he doesn't have any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is right now you have the advantage. Yeah, because the the background specialties give you more stuff. Yeah. If you take those out, you have less. Yeah. Which so, I think basically when I say when I say more old school experience, I think they more mean the DM can just take that stuff out. So you can be like, guys, we're not using background specialty. Yeah. Like, like I, I I remember them saying they wanted your like first edition guy to be able to play at the same table with your fourth edition guy. Yeah, which I think we're gonna see that as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Which I think what that more means is like my fighter like jumps around and like does all these crazy maneuvers. The other guy only ever adds his dice to damage and he's doing his hacking and yeah, slashing. Yeah, I, I, I kind of was, as I was formulating this, like, yeah. hypothesis, I, I was thinking, well, why don't you just keep combats, like, your combat superiority dice? But only ever add it to Only damage. ever use it to damage, yeah. And the thing is, like, that's still viable. That is still viable, yeah. Yeah, so people, they basically said they want the classes to be variously complex according to the player's preferences, but for the less complex options to not be explicitly worse than the more complex Yes, yeah. and, and kind of what it seems like right now is the less complex is explicitly a, just a tad well, tiny Well, because right worse, now the only yeah. options they offer in terms of variable complexity are on the DM side. Yeah. Um, so, one thing that I uh, wanted to bring up was that, like, old school people, like, when I told Vince about the, the fighter magic the user. fighter magic user, he went to the forums, osrgaming.org. We didn't f- tell them where to find us. We'll get to that. Anyways, um, <laughs> so when I told them about that, he started a, a, a post on, like, the forums and people were talking about it and uh it'd come up where it's just like well just if you want an old school experience leave that out if you don't want that just tell them no we're not using that stuff yeah and his complaint was like well people are gonna say it's in the book i should be able to use it yeah but the thing is is it it's supposed to be a modular game yeah in the book it says you can take it out yeah like the game is designed to if the dm doesn't want this to be in there yeah like it's basically in third edition you couldn't take out rules no. In 4th edition, you couldn't take out rules. Like, I, I tried a little bit, but... It's not optional in 3rd edition. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's so interconnected. Here, everything is not really interconnected. Like, there's... The mechanic is so simple of, like, just roll this thing versus this thing. And, like, you can have, like, a system of defined combat maneuvers, or you can have, like, the really, like, touch-and-go kind of, I want to do this, I want to do this. Oh, yeah, you how, how we'd run it, yeah. Like, there's something... There's this little story I want to share, actually. Okay. In the last D&D Next playtest game I ran, it was uh, a Rutger's Grimm Adventure, which uh, Crispy's star character, Rutger's Grimm Detective. And there was a part in which the final blow of the game was contributed by all three of the party members. It was you, Rutger's Grimm, and then there was my brother's character, Artwood the Cleric, and then there was Joe's character, who was a fighter. And what happened was, is that uh, Artwood the Cleric cast Hold Person on the sorcerer they were battling. So I decided, okay, uh, his feet root to the ground. And then you decide, like, I'm gonna trip him. So you go, and 
and like I decided that this needed a roll, so I had you roll your dexterity versus his to see who was more nimble, and uh, you lost. But then like I say, I said he jumped out of the way, but then he pipes up and says, "Aren't his feet rooted to the ground? He can't jump out of the way." And I decided, "Oh yeah, he can't get out of the way of this." So I decided, I went back and said, "Actually, since that happened, he gets knocked over." So you knocked him over, and then Joe came in with his friggin' advantage attack, where he because he had that advantage from you tripping him because he held him, he got a critical hit, which ended the fight. Yeah. So, like, there was no rule that somebody who was held could be tripped because he couldn't dodge out of the way, but I decided that made sense. And yeah. I, I really like D&D Next because it's got this really great, solid skeletal frame, and then the complexity comes on with optional layers that you can just add to it. Yeah. Which is just, just great design. Just fantastic, like... Yeah, this is the best designed edition of Dungeons & Dragons, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and it's not even done. Yeah, and that's the thing is, as it stands right now, this is it for us. Like, we could play what's out right now for yeah. the rest of forever and be okay with it. Yeah, like, I could just go in and homebrew, like, new specialties and backgrounds, and we could just keep adding it to it ourselves. Even, like, if the game went in a direction that we absolutely hated, we could take this playtest packet, and I could make, like, a clone of it, and we could just make our perfect game just using this framework provided mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. So I'm 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 anxious to see both both anxious in a good way and anxious in a bad way what they'll do in the upcoming months and and the next two years. Yeah. I want to talk about advantage and disadvantage. We definitely got to talk about because that. advantage and disadvantage. When I saw that, I basically like ran naked in the streets proclaiming that there is a god. Yeah, I I saw that. It's on YouTube actually. If you look up crazy D and D murder, like it's there. Anyway, uh, so basically in third edition, fourth edition. <laughs> I, yeah, pretty much every edition. Yeah, like, there were circumstantial benefits and detriments were handled with modifiers. Like, uh, when I say modifier, it means, like, if you had the high ground, you add two to your attack roll. If you're blind, you, like, subtract five. If you're attacking someone, like, unaware, you get a plus two. If you're a rogue, you get a plus four. And these can, like, start to stack on top of each other. So, like, say I'm a barbarian, and I am I know I battle rage, so I get a plus two to my attack roll. I'm gonna charge, and that's another plus two. But let, let's say that I'm also gonna be flanking him, which is another plus two, but uh, there's something bad. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It's like I, a minus three. And I three. decide to rage. Yeah, or like, yeah, and like, you eventually have these stacking up, and it's really hard to keep track of, and you might have to go back and be like, didn't I have that? Yeah, yeah, because you get like, the bard casts, like, he, like the he, he starts playing, blitz. yeah, so you get all these situational modifiers. And you can forget them or add them wrong. And what ends up happening is someone's like, oh, don't forget about the plus one. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's the bard catchphrase. Yeah. Anytime you ever play a bard in uh, Pathfinder in 3.5. That's your mantra. You it's chant like, that. Don't forget the plus one every turn when everybody rolls anything. And in, uh, in in 5th edition, they took almost all of that out. Yeah. Like, that's gone. Instead, they have this new system called Vantage and Disadvantage, where if some if it's something good, you get advantage. If it's something bad, you get disadvantage. And you don't even have to add or subtract anything. Advantages, you roll two dice, and you take the higher one. Disadvantages, you roll two dice, you take the lower one. Yeah. Because the thing with the situational bonuses, like, you could have, like, a plus 10 bonus, mm -hmm. like, from situational circumstantial th circumstantial things. And that adds on to your, like, plus 15 to attack that you already have from, like, your attack numbers and stuff like that. Just get really bloated and inflated. But if you roll a 1, it's done for. Yeah. Freaking, I hate initiative. because Initiative is the worst case of this because it's yeah, like... like I get a, a plus 6, I rolled a 2. I have a minus 3, I rolled a 16. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, yay. Hurrah. But, um... 
so what happens is you roll a one, you you fail automatically. Like yeah, and, and with but with a, if you have advantage instead of all those weird pluses, you roll two dice, which makes it a lot less likely yeah. to roll a one. And, and that's the thing with the instead of the pluses because like you can have a plus ten and roll a one and still fail. Mm-hmm. Whereas advantage now you that the chance of rolling a one and automatically failing becomes one in. Four hundred percent. Yeah, one of four hundred dice. Yeah, one of four hundred. Yeah, that's, the, chan- that's the chance of rolling two dice and getting two yeah. d twenties and getting the same result as one in four hundred. Yeah. Now, here's the thing: is that there are certain things codified in the book which give you advantage and disadvantage. But the complete list of what gives you advantage and disadvantage is basically in the DM's brain, and it can change depending on the style of campaign you want to run. Like, if you want to run a game where if you jump off of a boat and shout the name of your god and plunge a dagger into the back of somebody's neck, like. One DM can say, that's dumb, why are you jumping out of a boat, you have no footing, and you're attacking from the sky and gave away your position, you have disadvantage. Another DM can say, that's friggin' awesome, you get advantage. <laughs> you get like, advantage and also, hold on, let me put on this Ronnie James Dio album. <laughs> yeah, like, so the style of play can affect the, how the game plays out just by whether this mechanic is applied differently. Depending. Hold a diver! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty appropriate. (laughs) Okay. I don't know the mechanics of the game. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to have a live podcast again. (laughs) I feel bad for everyone who's going to listen to this, and I don't edit that laughing out. (laughs) So you do the whole holy timer, and this DM decides it's great. It's like, if you're playing a cinematic, crazy game, cinematic, crazy stuff will give you advantage. If you're playing a realistic game, realistic stuff will give you advantage or disadvantage. So, like, it's built right in there into the system without it even being explicitly having different rules for different kinds of games. It's just that mechanic being applied different ways enables you to have different kinds of games. And that's awesome! It's so good! It's great. It's really good. Critical yeah. Wits approved. <laughs> Critical <laughs> Wits stamp of give us the final game. We, uh... We you should probably like you should make a graphic that's the it's just the nintendo seal logo. yes but like it's just the critical wits logo yeah yeah um i don't know do we have anything else to well we I gushed guess. a lot we did we uh, got, like we would say what's bad about it but we don't there's not a lot i don't like that flanking doesn't give you advantage yeah that's something i don't like i think it's a little too hard to get sneak attack right now yeah like things like the things we have complaints about like it's a play test so these are the kind of things that'll just get smoothed out but the fundamental like core game there's nothing about it that like the way the game is set up that we don't like I want to like rip the pages out put them on a spoon melt them down and then inject them into my toes yeah that's that's how much I like this game yeah and this is probably not something you're going to hear a lot of because a lot of people like who get really attached to other editions I'm going to tell you how much it sucks because it's different like but we think it's fantastic like yeah. this is this is the edition we've been waiting for and, and part of that like part of why I'm so receptive to this was because like I really when I first started looking at 4th edition seriously to play it, I really liked it. But I went three years just being the grumpy grognard and be like, no, it's different, so it's bad. And it's just like, then, like, what I had realized was I cheated myself out of something that I would really enjoy over something dumb, honestly. Like, oh, I don't like it because it's new and different and they got rid of the edition I wanted. 
So another thing, interesting thing I think it's worth saying is that something else Wizards of the Coast is doing is republishing old editions. Yeah, because they realized that other people want them, and they're like, "Hey, we have the rights to these. People are going to buy them. Let's just print them again." Yeah, uh, so, I don't know where that's going though. Like they've think, done first edition, and they're doing. Th- 3.5? Yeah, they're doing 3.5 now. So, I, like, are they going to do... What I really want is for them to reprint original d d in a box set. I, I want that. I want a collector's edition. I can see that being, like, a collector's edition, but I don't know if that's something they mass market. No. Nah. again, like, these are all kind of niche things, because yeah. the old edition holdouts, with the exception of the Pathfinder people, are niche audiences. That's, that's very true. At this time. Man, remember when Pathfinder was coming out, and, like, when it was still in beta, and there were a bunch of threads with, like, people posting, like, why they hated Pathfinder and their proposed changes. Yeah, like, the thing is is that a lot of people didn't like Pathfinder because it didn't do what they thought should be done with 3.5. A lot of those people went on to make their own editions. Like, usually they were more complicated and stuff like that. And none of, them, none of the other ones really took off. But Pathfinder, like, that's not really as much of a thing anymore. It's like you're a 4th edition guy or a Pathfinder guy or an old school guy right yeah. now. Those are the kind of the three major D&D audiences right now. I lumped all the old school guys together. Yeah. Yeah, Which, like, I mean, but, like, all the old school editions are really similar. Like, you are. can go like, from playing second edition to, like, Labyrinth Lord, and I'm still looking on a table. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. Like, coming from kind of the old school, like, I, I honestly hold that opinion as well. I, I don't think they're different enough. Yeah. So it's kind of like, eh. But, um... So, like, basically they're trying to win back the fractured D&D audience with this new edition of D&D that tries to, like, com- go back to what D&D is all about and combine, like, the best parts of every edition, like the 3.5 character customization, the 4th edition math elegance, the old school edition, like, uh, simplicity and modularity. And interaction. Like, with true interaction with the world. Like, and I think they've done a fantastic job. But if the for the people they don't win back, they're printing the old editions. And I think that's yeah. a good strategy. Like, and that's the thing and is... They're acknowledging that people won't like the new stuff. Instead of being all like, this new edition's better! If you like the old bad edition, you're dumb. They're being like, we like this new edition, but if you like the old edition... Here you go. That. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think they're really starting to get back in touch with what the D&D audience wants. Yeah. Because the D&D audience getting fractured is what killed TSR in the first place. Of With, like, all, like, basic D&D events D&D. You got Greyhawk, you got your Forgotten Realms, the Spelljammer, well, and Birthright. And, they also had... And, like, whether they were... There were other reasons. Yeah. There was a lot of weird political stuff, like Gary being forced out. Yeah. Lorraine Williams, bad business choices. Yeah. And that was one of the things, but a lot of people do credit the fracturing of the D&D base as contributing to the Yeah, downfall. I can see that. And, like, that's what Wizards of the Coast did. They were like, alright, no more different editions. Yeah. We have one D&D edition. Like, yeah. it's Dungeons and Dragons. There's no basic, there's no advanced. It's yeah. one thing. And I think that's I think that's smart. Like, yeah. I will say, like, I, I'm excited for 5th edition because it has that element of being able to fracture it into yeah. basic 5th edition yeah. or advanced 5th edition. But they basically, they're basically saying that like basic 5th edition and advanced 5th edition are going to be the same book. Yeah. Like they're going to have tons and tons of different options in the core book. And Another I like thing, that. I think that's a good thing. I hear it on the grapevine, but don't quote me on this because this has not been confirmed, but I've seen signs pointing to the fact that I think the core book is only going to be levels 1 through 10. Which I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that too because every D&D game I've played has not gotten up to level 10. Highest I ever took you guys was 8. 8, yeah. yeah. And we started games higher sometimes. I think the highest of 
played was 11. We don't play level 1. Yeah, we don't. We're not a level 1 group. Yeah, we skip level 1. But yeah. we usually start, like, 3. 3, yeah. 3 is a good place to start, but we don't ever really get higher than, like, 8. Yeah. And so I'm interested to see if they do, like, 4th edition style, where they take levels, like, 11 to 20, with, like, a different rule of progression. Like, you have, like, a Paragon Path or a Prestige class, and your base class only goes up 10. Which I'd be interested to see how that kind of thing turns out. But I'm perfectly okay with levels 1 to 10 being one book and higher levels being a supplement um uh let's see i think magic got like i guess the only thing we really haven't addressed is magic yeah magic works basically like items oh yeah magic items are not figured into the core rules at all which just is the best ever you can play with no magic items which is fantastic like i was just thinking the other day i was watching this this show i really like it's called samurai champloo it's by the cowboy bebop guys it's like basically a kind of an edo japan samurai flick ongoing series and i thought that'd be a great D game and i was thinking DD next is the only one you can run that in because DD next you can have a world with no magic yeah and where every fighter is kind of different i've got it like i've got the whole thing we can watch it all right we don't i think it's on it netflix like, but yeah but yeah i watched it the other day it's it fantastic yeah but you can you can a dm can say like have a world like in my world the lamps have fire elementals that are attuned to the ma- archmage's tower and summoned during the night and like this other person can be like in my world there is no magic it's like game of thrones or like a game of thrones i believe is no magic i don't really know that much about it but i yeah. believe that game of thrones is like a fantasy kind of thing where you've got like fantasy creatures like dire wolves and dragons and stuff but there's no magic yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Lord of the Rings it. is like there's magic, but it's really rare. And yeah, magic is not. But see, I was like, going to bring up Lord of the Rings. There are like, eight wizards. There like, are eight wizards. Yeah, like you only ever really get to know three. Well, two, and then like Radagast is like, hey everybody, I'm Radagast. Yeah. I'm gonna turn into an eagle now. Bye, I'm Radagast. The not appearing in this film. I guess he's getting a pretty big uh, spot in the Hobbit. Like, really? Yeah, he was, but he was not in the Hobbit at all. I, I don't know. Huh? No, no, he the Eagles. The Eagles. Well, the Eagles aren't Radagast. Wasn't he... I don't know. It's it's been like... It's been friggin' 15 years since I read The Hobbit, so... Yeah. God, we're old. Yeah, we're old now. Anyway, well, other people think we're young. Like, we're the we're the, we're the babbies of yeah, the Yeah, we're the babbies guys. of the podcast guys. Yeah. We're those young, hip, cool kids who <laughs> like things. Yeah, who like things and, <laughs> and can feel happiness. <laughs> and see color. Uh, no one. We're, we're gonna check our numbers for downloads next month, and it's like zero. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, you can have like a Lord of the Rings style game with a little bit of magic. You can have like an Eberron game where like you got Everything magic, is magic. magic coming out of every orifice. <laughs> like you can have like you your fart in like a fucking it's a like stardust cloud that turns into a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can have, like, your fantasy robot on your airship. You can have, like, airships and artifice, copyright TM, Joe Richardson. <laughs> but, like, but you can also have, like, knights and princesses and the only wizard's Merlin fantasy. Yeah, and that's cool. Like, there's one magic sword, and it's Excalibur. And yeah, like, and, like, the game will work fine. Like, magic items are not figured into the core rules at all. That's They're what optional. I'm excited for. I'm excited to take D&D from, like, weird reincarnated undead Avengers 
spiders who can teleport, mm -hmm. and, like, there's, like, a ninja who's a robot vampire. <laughs> Back to, like, I'm a knight. My yeah. dude here is, like, on parole from, like, the dungeons because he's, like, the leader of the Thieves' he's, Guild. Yeah. My other dude's a friggin' barbarian prince who, <laughs> like, upholds his family honor, and then we have a wizard friend, but he dies, and then we replace him with a wizard friend who looks <laughs> just like him. Yeah. And now we're gonna go fight the Shadow. That's right, everybody. I the just gamers. made a gamer's reference. The gamers! I try to steal his pants. I can't believe that you took his pants. Well, high five. Waffle. Oh, yeah. We were supposed to do that because it's live from oh, Tim's yeah. condo. And here's so. the proof that it's live. Yeah! Yeah! That was an honest-to-God Tim and Crispy high five. Yeah. Straight from Henderson, Nevada to your ears. High fives. Live. Critical Wits Podcast. Tim and Crispy. WKKK www.criticalwitsinfo KKK? Well, I need to cut out one of those K's in post. Alright, yeah. We don't want to look like we're racists. Yeah, because we're, we're not racists. <laughs> That's what's so insane about Critical it. Critical Wits, quote-unquote. We ain't racist. Enjoy Dungeons & Dragons. Anyway, what were we even talking about? I don't know. I don't High like fives? It. High, High fives, fives, gamers, yeah. reference. Oh, yeah, taking D&D back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking D&D back to its roots of, like... But, like, this is the game where you can do the roots, or you can do, like, magical fantasy robot airships. Yeah, and, and one thing that I really like is how your, like, backgrounds and specialties are set up. You can easily just make new backgrounds and specialties. Yeah, you can have, like, a new the... background that's, like, experimental android. Yeah. Even. Like, I'm interested to see if you can run D&D next modern or something like that can i be mega man can you be mega Look, you're already mega man in one of my games remember i know but like <laughs> i want to i want to be the one who fights for justice i want to be the one you got to be so, let me get this straight. Through the glass, 20 stories high, you watch the city burn. Yeah, but, like, if everything that you say is true, there's no <laughs> hope someday they will learn. It's the Proto-Men! Ah, They're a band. a band! They're a good band. I would suggest going to iTunes. If if you haven't, stop listening to this podcast. Go to iTunes. Download all of the Proto-Men. <laughs> <laughs> I love how every episode, there's, like, a stop listening, do this. Yeah, yeah. That's not very good marketing. Anyway, um, yeah, you can make new backgrounds. If you're a little mechanic savvy, you can make new specialties. Like, mm -hmm. I have done so. Like, I'm making a Google Doc full of all my little custom specialties. And, yeah, it's, it's super modular. It's really easy to homebrew for, and it's you can make it your game. You can, it's your game. Yeah, yeah. I've got a plug-in like laptop. We like it a lot. We do. Uh, oh, wait, should I stop? Because you're... No, no, keep going. Okay, uh, hey, everybody, it's Tim only for a moment time. Hey, everybody, it's Tim. I'm Tim Jenkins, everyone's favorite. Crispy is currently busy getting his power power cord. Oh man, I need to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Quick. Alright, uh, uh, okay. So, 5th edition, I think, both me and Crispy agree that it's gonna be the best. Well, we think it's the best currently, but we are excited to see where it goes. We want to see if it continues to be the best, or if whiners are gonna get loud and ruin it. But either way, we think we can take this and we can make this what we play now. Yeah, so, that's the thing. Um, magic got changed a little bit. Like, it's still fancy magic, which... It's like memorizing spells and casting We're them. gonna do a show about that eventually. Yeah, but like, uh, they nerfed it. Like, yeah, they it's, did. It's, certain spells don't work on more powerful opponents. Like, uh, damage dice don't go up with level. Yeah, that's gonna be something interesting is that like, your spells don't automatically get 
more powerful as you level. But I think what's going to happen is if you take a spell, you prepare it in a higher level spell slot that makes it more powerful. And it's I'm like okay instead of that. having like invisibility and greater invisibility, you like have invisibility and then invisibility in the level 4 slot is better. You know, yeah, because kind of what used to happen with Vantian Magic, for those of you who have never played D&D prior to 4th edition, I guess. Yeah. Um, Like, it used to be your damage dice for your spells were based off your caster level. So like, I'm a level 5 wizard. My fireball does, fireball does 5 6-sided dice. If I'm a level 8 wizard, mine does 8 6-sided dice. Yeah, so it would go up with power. And that's where a lot of the balance discrepancy kind of came from. But well, we already did an episode on that. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. But magic, not changed so much from, let's say, 3rd edition and lower. Yeah. It's that style of magic. There's going to be, there's a sorcerer class who has like a spell points, like a mana pool. And then there's the warlock class, which has like the encounter spells where you do a spell per fight kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are mad because they want to be able to swap out the spell casting mechanics through the classes. Like they want to be able to be a spell point wizard, you know, that kind of thing. I would like to see that. Yeah, actually. me too. Like, I don't so, think we need to have Sorcerer and Warlock, but I think yeah. alternate magic systems would be something nice. Yeah, I think, so I'll, I think that's going to be something that they really focus on in the next playtest. Yeah. I think it's going to be really magic focused. I want to see less of them doing more classes and more of modular classes. Yeah. That's what I want from 5th edition, but like, right. yeah. I think we are repeating ourselves. We're repeating bit. ourselves, and I think this is the longest episode of Critical Wits yet. Yeah, so. I believe it's about time we should wrap it up. Yeah, so. so if you want to participate, well, firstly, if you want to complain about D&D Next, participate in the playtest, because if you do don't participate in the playtest and you don't like what they made, that's your fault. Yeah. Uh, it's like the whole, don't if you don't vote, you can't complain thing. Yeah. But I, if you want to participate in the playtest, you can go to, like, Wisdom's the Coast website. I don't know what the URL is. I think Google it's it. dndnext.com. Yeah, yeah, dndnext.com. Yeah. You can go there and sign up and sign the internet non-disclosure agreement, and then you can I get these rules for free, look through them yourself, and tell us what you think. Yeah, I think you can also get to it from dndinsider.com or wizards.com slash dnd. Or Google it. Yeah. Like, freaking Google it. Um, I will say that if you... Google it. <laughs> AOL keyword dnd next. <laughs> I will say that if you are only going to complain about dnd next, shh. Shut up and just keep playing what you're playing. Yeah, if you're gonna, like, if you're not gonna switch from your edition, no matter what. Yeah, if your edition works for you and you're happy playing it, then keep playing it. Cool, go yeah. for you. But don't, don't you ruin this for me, because <laughs> I will find you, I will pursue you, and I will kill you. Good luck. But uh, yeah, so you have a certain set of skills. I have a certain set of skills. They're percentile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for Critical Wits Podcast, I'm Tim Jenkins. I'm Crispy. Play D D next. Tell us what you think. Criticalwits.info. Email us at criticalwits at gmail.com. Uh find us on Twitter, criticalwits underscore PC. We have a Facebook facebook.com slash critical wits podcast we got a tumblr we don't got a tumblr we don't have a tumblr um, but we got we got forums forums osrgaming.org yeah and let us know what you think of DD next and uh and uh i look forward to reading your hate mail on the next mailbag episode yeah critical wits is chris stockett tim jenkins and daniel cabral visit our website at criticalwits.info or post a comment on our forums at osrgaming.org you can find us on iTunes under Critical Wits, or like us on Facebook at Critical Wits Podcasts, or you can follow us on Twitter at Critical Wits underscore PC. We look forward to hearing from you.